0: Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 74.
1: Screwtape Proposes a Toast, Part 4, The Last, A Few Good Men.
0: Welcome, everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where David, Andrew, and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we are eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. But we are done with the letters and almost done with this final part, the Screwtape proposes a toast. So it's a slightly different part. And Andrew, it's you and I again, Recording. So we got to do the last part and we get to finish with the very final part of this proposal.
1: Oh, and what a joy. So I have done a little research. I was a little unclear. I was close last time. Screwtape Proposes a Toast was written by Lewis in 1959 and published on December 19th, 1959. So before Joy's passing away. And it was published in the Saturday Evening Post, um, which published some of Lewis's things. And so that's uh, the very end of the book, but I hope it's not the end for our listeners. I don't know if you found this, Matt, and our listeners have found it as well. Screwtape, um, Jerry Root refers to C.S. Lewis as kind of a lifelong author, an author of a lifetime, and Screwtape is one of those books that repays and gives good div- dividends year after year, read after read. And so I hope it's not the last time you and I and our listeners read Screwtape.
0: Absolutely not. And before we jump in, I want to give a shout out uh, to, D- David had mentioned this to me because he deals with much more of the communication side of things, but shout out to Gomer, I think it's Luke Gomer, uh, for subscribing after we advertised on his podcast. So David and I decided <laughs> to take a stab at our first ever to try to spread the ministry to more individuals and get the message out there advertising on the Catching Foxes podcast. And so we did a four-part oh, advertisement. Fantastic. Yeah, we did a four-part advertising it. and they're probably three or four times the listener base that we have and we tried to think ourselves these might be people that would enjoy c.s lewis and so first of all if you're a listener from hearing that advertisement message us because i'd love to know that it was successful uh but then we got <laughs> a our
1: advertising dollars at work
0: <laughs> yeah but then uh we get a message from the person that runs the podcast, and he's and he's like, "Oh, just subscribed, really loving it." And so David sends me, and we kind of start chuckling that after we advertise, he he starts listening to podcasts, which is great. Or at least we got someone to come over.
1: I don't know if we need to use our advertising uh, budget to to encourage new new listeners, but you know we'll take them anyway we can get them. <laughs> I just want to right. acknowledge the Pints with Jack podcast for uh, so much good in my life in the last couple of months. Um, I was invited on the uh, Inkling's Variety Hour to speak about Toya Faces, and that was great fun. Um, in part, through the the Pints with Jack podcast, came to the attention of Libby John. And her Art and Faith podcast and had fun talking about the the results of fairy tales. And I was so glad, Matt, that you were busy. Uh, because <laughs> I got to speak to the Edith Stein conference at Notre Dame. And that was a great delight.
0: And so you can be busy anytime any of those invites come through. <laughs> I love it. I was really glad you got to too. Listeners, if you didn't get to chance that that talk is on the feed. And I really particularly obviously, Andrew, your talk, especially the way you brought it home, actually. Moved me and in the inside, and inspired me. I also really appreciated the answers you had to their questions, uh, and mm. I thought you answered them brilliantly. They asked you some kind of headier, tougher questions, things that were getting into mm. some deeper theological issues, and you you answered them brilliantly. Well, you know, I owe all of that. Thank you for your kind words. I owe all of that to the
1: C.S. Lewis Foundation. Um, there was a, a conference at Cal Poly, and that's where David and I first met. Uh, and that's why I have a uh, 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 an Eagle and Child sticker on my computer, because I got it from David back then. Um, but uh, the Lewis Foundation, who of course does Oxbridge usually every three years, and it'll be next summer, no advertisement there. Uh, Steve Elmore, the president over there, Stan Matson, the longtime uh, president, marvelous things that they do. And so they invited me out to do a CS Lewis 101, where I just introduced the life and work of Lewis. And I said, listen, I can't shut up. And I can't stop making powerpoints. And so, in, so instead of giving a talk on Lew, the the biography and the and the bibliography, why don't I just sit there and answer questions for two hours? And Steve Elmore, President Elmore, said, "Sure, great." And David was in the audience, and we spent a couple of hours just answering questions. I had no text in front of me. I had no slides mm-hmm. except one, and. Uh, Lewis is endlessly fascinating, but also endlessly helpful to me as a believer. And so the chance to have that stuff at my fingertips and to answer answer some questions was a real joy. And so a lot of good. And that was when David, that was the first time David and I were in the same room together. And uh, that's where all of this journey started, which has produced uh, so many
0: blessings, including the blessing of doing some stuff with you. <clears throat> Divine providence. <clears throat> Indeed, <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking forward to uh, as we turn here to the song of the week. I can't tell if David if this is a pure coincidence, but I've learned with David nothing is. If he wants this to be my coming out uh, away from Taylor Swift to a new favorite female singer song, uh, <laughs> so I I recently watched the Pink documentary on Amazon Prime Aww. because I have no streaming services, but of course I have Amazon Prime to ship stuff, and I wanted a movie one night in those advertising the banner, and I was like, she is awesome. And I text David, I go, I think Taylor Swift has been dethroned. And I don't think it's a coincidence that now that I'm, this is the first time I'm back recording like last week, but we're actually all doing this the same day, uh, that there's a pink one in here. I think he wanted me to share this guys. Taylor Swift is no longer the number one. It's now pink. Okay, good. (laughs) And uh, the song of the week is raise your glass. And so here's some of the stuff from it. So raise your glass if you are wrong in all the right ways, all my underdogs. We will never be, never be anything but loud and nitty gritty, dirty little freaks. Won't you come on and come on and raise your glass? Just come on and come on and raise your glass. And I think this was actually David wrote here, suggested by a listener, Carmine, who sent this in. And so it fits with the toast and everything. Oh, good.
1: Well, I'm always looking for a new documentary, so that's going to be on the list. We're going to watch Pink maybe tonight.
0: <laughs> so I, I have weird taste and stuff, so yes. I don't know if I should stand behind that. I'm not quite sure you'll... It'll be your cup of tea, but I look forward to hearing your analysis on it. Listen, it's when it comes to pop singers, I don't think it's a cup of tea. I think it's a can of soda. But um,
1: <laughs> we, we haven't delved deeply into my deep and inveterate love of boy bands, and so maybe we'll save that for another time. But... um we could, If all you gave me was Hanson and the Jonas Brothers and New Kids on the Block and the Beatles, I'd be uh, plenty happy. So uh, maybe we can, we can outrage and discuss David together.
0: I love it. Good. What's our quote of the week? So I chose this quote of the week because it continues nicely off of last week's, which if you remember that idea of I'm as good as you, that concept, but we're going to build off that this week. And so here's the quote. Mm-hmm. I'm as good as you is a useful means for the destruction of democratic societies. Hmm. But it has a far deeper value as an end in itself, as a state of mind which necessarily, excluding humility, charity, contentment, and all the pleasures of gratitude or admiration, turns a human being away from almost every road which might finally lead to heaven. Uh that's fantastic and you know it's no
1: wonder that this is written towards the end of lewis's writing life i mean he'll be he will have passed away almost four years after this is written and this is so summary of so much what he's doing that's a great quote
0: Uh uh-huh and now for our drink of the week so i'm continuing with my advent calendar which it's going to take many 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 more weeks i think there's still 10 left, but
1: you better finish that up before Advent, dude. <laughs> <laughs>
0: mine is a Glenn Fittich 15. Oh,
1: man. I am drinking a, uh, a, it's a gift from you and you and David. Um, I'm drinking a
0: Klein Ellish 14. All right. And mine is thankfully much brighter than last episodes. It's a bright gold. It mentions in some of the tasting notes chocolate, hint of pear, a lightness, a smoothness on the body. So I'll be curious if I get this.
1: Hmm. Well, I don't think I've got an entry for the Klein 14. There's a different one from the Hidden Malts, but uh, maybe it's close. Bright pale orange. I think I get that. The nose is fragrant. A stroll in the sand dunes. And this is where my wife checks out. (laughs) She's like, yeah, lost me here, dude. Uh Uh-huh. (sighs) Ah. I can't wait to go to Scotland and smell the Scottish Sea. I think that my Scotch tasting will be different after that.
0: Yeah, that's not good. I don't like Glen Fittich. You don't? No. Really? Okay. Hmm. Wow. That makes me kind of, it um, doesn't sit well in my throat.
1: Mm. Would not mm. recommend
0: that personally, but that's my own taste. Okay.
1: This is a firm, oily, seductively smoky body. That's, I, that's not the one that I'm drinking. This is a... It's a good, nice uh, nice mouthful. I do get oily. Um, it's really smooth on the palate, but then there's a little bite as it goes down.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and it, I'm not sure it has as much character, but uh, you all know that it, if, it's a, if it ain't smoking, I'm not sipping. I like that. But this is a lovely gift.
0: So Well, I'm going to attempt to follow up last week's Patreon toast. But I'm not okay. quite sure I'm going to be able to do what you did, Andrew. But I'm going to try. Okay. This one goes out to Juan Aguilar. 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 It it means eagle. Ooh.
1: Can you see eagle in there? You can. Wow, that's quite the yeah. The la- that's quite the last name. If you're half Cuban, you probably need to be able to pronounce Juan Aguilar,
0: and we welcome and bless you, friend. <laughs> I love it. So Juan, on this final episode with the toast. We raise our glass to you, that you may fight the temptation towards commonality and become one of the few good men. To one, to one.
1: I'm sorry you're having a bad experience. I'm still drinking single malt, which is always. (laughs) Andrew, don't let
0: my bad experience take away from yours. I celebrate the deliciousness of your scotch and your enjoyment.
1: (laughs) You should. You gave it to me. Right. Well, so in the previous episode, we saw how Screwtape turns us into non-entities by stripping us of individuality uh, to think, and we think of the ghosts that were nothing in The Great Divorce. I knew you guys would drag The Great Divorce in. <laughs> it was his yep. second best book. <laughs> I love it. And so song. on today's uh, section of Tape Proposes a Toast, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a different chapter summary, um, and he...
0: Uh, here is the 100-word summary penned by Matt. In this week's letter, Tape continues to detail the masterful plan towards a complete loss of individuality. He begins with the education system, a natural spot to make sure no one feels inferior. The I'm as good as you are idea. When education is conquered, we lose good and strong individuals. This leads to the destruction of democracy from the inside out. Finally, the ultimate end is achieved, the destruction of the individual and the necessary material to get into heaven.
1: Well, and I think that we would be remiss not to mention um, Michael Ward has just done uh, a new edition of Abolition of Man, published on Word on Fire, which published uh, Holly Ordway's marvelous book on Tolkien recently. And he also published Michael Ward, the Planet Narnia uh, scholar and the the dean of C.S. Lewis scholars, a wonderful guy. Um, and he's also published a guide to Abolition of Man called After Humanity, a guide to C.S. Lewis's Abolition of Man. And you can get both. Uh, the, the book is twenty four ninety five from Word on Fire Academic, and it also comes with a companion copy of Abolition of Man. It, th- to me, that's one of the thickest, densest, and most difficult books of Lewis. And so I'm deeply grateful for Michael Ward to, uh, to, to issue this guide. And it talks a great deal about education. And so I think that we can see these as, in some ways, partners.
0: I love it. Well, and speaking of education, that leads us right into this week's chapter beautifully. Because last week we talked so much about these different applications, as we saw, of I'm as good as you are. Well, this week, we're going to see how that continues to permeate through society and how it's a progression that ultimately leads to the end and the loss of individuality. And we're going to start with the education system. Here's what Screwtape says. The basic principle of the new education is to be that dunces and idlers must not be made to feel inferior to intelligent and industrious pupils. That would be undemocratic. The difference between pupils, for they are obviously, and nakedly, individual differences, must be disguised. At schools, the children who are too stupid or lazy to learn languages and mathematics and elementary science can be set to doing things that children used to do in their spare time. Let them, for example, make mud pies and call it modeling. But all the time, there must be no faintness hint that they are inferior to the children who are at work. Whatever nonsense they are engaged in must have, I believe the English are to use the phrase "parody of esteem." An even more drastic scheme is not possible. Children who are fit to proceed to a higher class may be artificially kept back because the others would be would get a trauma. Beelzebub, what a useful word by being left behind. <laughs> There's so much there between parody of esteem. I thought that interesting part of it would cause a trauma if they feel less. I'm like, wow, that's kind of what we talk about today. I have a story I'll tell in a sec on that too.
1: Well, and I, again, don't want to be overly political. In fact, I don't want to be political at all. I want to be theological. Um, But I've seen that in some places they're eliminating some of the advanced classes so that it doesn't make people feel inferior. And um, I've certainly seen in my long educational career, lots of people who were unsuited to college, perhaps, you know, being encouraged to go to college. And Lewis addresses this in 1960. And here we are in
0: 2021 examining some of the same things. That's interesting. I, we were doing a program for a not-for-profit I'm a part of with. Uh, a college. I'm going to be super vague with all of this, but it'll, the point will be here. Uh, we were doing a program where we had about 300 college students apply for it. We can only choose a hundred. And one student emails later that uh, they were very disappointed that they didn't get accepted into the program and actually used like language of it's, it's distressing to me and distraught that I'm not a part of this. And, I, mm. <laughs> and we went through and we tried to be very objective with this. So we reviewed everything of this individual and, they were probably one of the worst in the sense that they answered essay questions that we asked with the least amount of words possible, the most generic and nothing. It's like, it wasn't even close. But It was the mm-hmm. first time I'd ever experienced someone who put zero effort into being a part of the program, but was distressed and distraught that that we did not accept them. And I was like, I wrote back, I said, the average person who got a part of this wrote really detailed answers. Their average word count was like 500 something words. You had like eight. It was. I was just like, sorry. It was, we're not going to make room you didn't try mm-hmm. felt bad but yeah
1: as listeners may know i spent 13 years in the professional educational uh, realm before attending seminary i mean i was a high school teacher for 10 years and uh, a college teacher uh, before that for three years and i had to actually i remember very clearly a kid who you know, showing them on the board. Here's the numbers that you've gotten, and the highest that you can get is a 78. And there's no way that you can get a B. You just haven't done the work. Mm-hmm. And watching that disappointment on their face, and and uh, you know, I could we could talk about grading, you know, forever. But one of the points that we brought up last time is I want my surgeon to be smarter at medicine than me. Yes, right. I want my financial planner to be smarter at numbers than I am, and it's not. A diff, it's not a, a bad thing for some person to have more intelligence or more ability in this area or that um, than others. But um, like Lewis said in it last week, you know what democracy the screw tape has perverted democracy to chopping off all the stalks of wheat until they're all the same size, even though that l- helps you to lose most of your crop and. We, we need the differences. Um, mm-hmm. And as we'll find out in, I think it's in, in The Four Loves, um, you don't have to be intelligent to be a good and helpful believer. And there are going to be varieties of intelligences, and that's by design,
0: and God can use and bless that.
1: So screw tape, although, wants to, wants to stir up some trouble, as is typical.
0: In the one caveat I make as we go through this, guys, is some of Lewis' languages language comes across a little intense, like stupid people and dunces. Mm-hmm. We don't want to We want to be careful. I mean, there's certain people who academically just weren't as gifted. That wasn't one of their talents, and that's okay. Mm-hmm. I think what's more being referred to is people lazy and just w- wasting away their talents and gifts and not really putting any effort in. You know, you someone might actually be unintelligent in an area but working really hard. That's mm-hmm. not what's being referred to here.
1: No. And one of the one of the the, talk, the talks I gave my students is the difference between intelligence and ignorance. And yes. ignorance is not knowing, um, uh, not knowing something. And we all have a great deal of ignorance. Yes. Thanks be to God, it can be expanded. Um, and in mere Christianity, Lewis says that our call for any of us is to be as bright as we can be uh-huh. and to work as hard as we can. And so although thank goodness there's a wide mosaic of of, of differences um, and some people are going to be more intelligent than others boy, I hope the doctor is developing vaccines and 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 treating our more intelligent in those areas as i've said so yes. so not a, a and i think that lewis in his treatment of people was a model example of how he demonstrated the love of god and if ever there's a democracy the democracy is in the way that god loves each of us uh, regardless of what we do, of what our gifts and our talents and our beauty and our, or lack thereof of all of those things. It's the overwhelming love of God that meets us each where we are and helps us to grow um, and to become as good as we can be. And thank mm-hmm. God for that. And Lewis does a great job at pointing those things out.
0: Yes. If we take a step back and ask ourselves, all right, what's happening with this education system uh, and what we were just talking about, it ultimately comes down to a distortion of incentives. Uh, When you do, when you infiltrate the education system and you promote and pat people on the back for lack of work, it's distorting Mm -hmm. another child seeing that who put a lot of work in and is being kind of cut down rather than cheered for the effort that they put in to achieve what they achieved. It's changing incentives. It's distorting them. And so Lewis writes or Screwtape says, all incentives to learn and all penalties for not learning will be prevented. Who are they to overtop their fellows? And anyway, the mm-hmm. teachers—or should I say, nurses—will be far too busy reassuring the dunces and patting them on the back to waste any time on real teaching. We shall no longer have to plan and toil to spread imperturb- imperturbable,
1: imperturbable, yeah.
0: imperturbable conceit, and incurable ignorance among men. The little vermin themselves will do it for us. I'm thinking of for the listeners. Have you seen Dumb and Dumber?
1: Oh yeah, yeah, the yeah. The scene
0: where he's like, t ta 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 the that's a tough one <laughs>
1: <laughs> imperturbable it comes from that wonderful word of of, of turb uh, turba meaning storm and people who cannot be shaken in their in their own conceit and that's what mm-hmm. um, that's what Tape is doing with democracy through education is trying to make everybody feel that they are equally good and equally smart and equally learned and it's a It gives false conceit to those who aren't, and it gives um, disappointment to those who have really worked hard um, at at what they've done. Remember that screw tape is always trying to tempt us to pride and towards hatred and against humility and mostly against love. And so sometimes you see this. And, you know, I saw it in, in education, kind of the leveling out of grades, grade inflation, you know, pass this one along. I didn't experience that in any of the schools that I taught, but certainly there's this kind of pressure to against having somebody face the consequences of their behavior. You didn't work and now you're getting a bad grade. Maybe you might make a a different choice, but that's not necessarily a popular tack in education today. Whatever tack you take on education, Tape wants you to think about yourself falsely. Mm-hmm. And one of the great gifts of Lewis is the gift towards clarity. And we certainly see some of that in, in what he's doing
0: here. Mm-hmm. And as this all progresses, this is mm-hmm. what we get to. And this is why we chose the title that we chose to. Yes. You now we're having these individuals that are constantly patted on the back. We have individuals that can never handle being considered inferior. We have individuals that if they are striving for excellence are being cut down. They're not being Mm -hmm. championed or cheered. Mm -hmm. And so what you get is you'll end up getting to a democracy that does not want great individuals.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: And Lewis goes on here and and actually really explains a bit about the middle class here and saying how it'll get hollowed out. The middle class, to him, what's going to happen is this education system is going to become state education. Mm -hmm. And... What's going to happen is you'll have the liquidating of the middle class, he says. And these were the individuals that were prepared to save and spend and make sacrifices in order to have their children privately educated. The removal of this class, besides linking up with the abolition of education, is fortunately an inevitable effect of the spirit that says, I'm as good as you. This was, after all, the social group which gave to the humans the overwhelming majority Of the scientists, physicians, philosophers, theologians, poets, artists, composers, architects, jurists, and administrators. And if ever there were a bunch of stalks that needed their tops knocked off, (laughs) it was surely they. As an English politician remarked not long ago, a democracy does not want great men. Now, don't forget, guys, this is Screwtape speaking here. Mm -hmm. As we get into this, it's not Lewis writing this. This is what Screwtape is saying he wants to happen.
1: You know, Saint John Cardinal Henry Newman uh, commented that despotisms require great monarchs; uh, the constitutions job on without them. And so there's this kind of idea that 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 greatness, in some ways, can be you know a detriment. And remember that Screw Tape's going to take anything that's working and try to mess it up. Our job as Christians is to take anything that's out there and try to turn it into the glory of God to see how this could turn around and and help the kingdom of God. So Matt, what is this kind of idea of the the unnatural leveling of the playing field? What how might that look? What what effect might that have?
0: Well, first it's exactly what screw tape and the little demon's want. Like this mm-hmm. this leads to that lack of human excellence, lack of striving. Um, lack of seeking for virtue, all the things that they don't want happen, it's perfect. Um, But what's interesting, Mm -hmm. though, is Screwtape does acknowledge, though, that this is is a second best for them, Mm -hmm. what we've been describing. They would prefer no democracy at all. They would Mm -hmm. prefer a much more terrible system. Mm -hmm. And instead, it's like, okay, we have democracy, which has, as we mentioned in the last episode, in the very beginning, has the power to end slavery, to have some of these great revolutions that provide... Mm -hmm. Amazing changes for the better. Yeah. Well, no.
1: I mean, anytime something effective in human society works, the enemy is going to try to take that good thing and twist it, pervert it, make it disproportionate. And so, and it's that quote from from this from this last um, address. He says, "We in hell would welcome the disappearance of democracy in the strict sense of that word, the political arrangement, so called." Like all forms of government, it often works to our advantage, but on the whole, less often than other forms. And what we must realize is that democracy in the diabolical sense, I'm as good as you are, be like folks, togetherness, is the fittest instrument we could possibly have for extirpating political democracies from the face of the earth. So here he is taking something good and trying trying to mess with it. And that's
0: typical of screw tape, especially here at the end. Well, and and kind of going back to the question you asked, too, of me, what's the end result? I kind of alluded to it, but Screwtape gets to it a little bit more detailed right after this, is the end result is no great men. We're going to lose just greatness out of people. And so he says, for democracy or the democratic spirit, now he puts in the diabolical sense. We have to Mm -hmm. remember, guys leads to a nation without great men, a nation mainly of subliterates, full of the cocksureness which flattery breeds on ignorance and to quick snarl or whimper at the first sign of criticism. And that is what Hal wishes every democratic people to be.
1: Mm -hmm. Whoa. Yes. Well, and remember that at the beginning of Screwtape Proposes a Toast, he says, we don't have any of the great centers, but that's okay. What we lack in quantity will make up, quality will make up in quantity. And so, if we can't, if we get great sinners, let's make everybody in the media follow them. And it's almost as if he foresaw the advent of social media. Mm-hmm. Let's get immoral people, and let's give them millions and millions of followers. Um, if we can't get great immoral people, um, let's uh, let's just try to make everybody feel like, oh, well, I'm all right, I'm okay. You know, I'm just as good as the next person. Let's get them into this kind of quotidian everyday pride, which will lead them surely to hell. I think the cry of the heart needs to be, I am worse than my neighbor. Mm-hmm. I am in desperate need of the blood of Christ. I'm in desperate need of somebody to save me from myself. And tape always wants to, wants to blind us from that.
0: Well, I want to read a part here. This is yes. why I liked the title, uh, A Few Good mm-hmm. Men. From the movie mm-hmm. and the scene particular just reminded me of because he just described people that are whimpering or snarl or whimper at the first time of criticism or flattery breeds on ignorance or cocksureness, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. And the scene just reminded me of this. Son, we live in a world that has walls, and those walls have to be guarded by men with guns. Who's gonna do it? You? You, Lieutenant Weinberg? I have a greater responsibility than you could possibly fathom. You weep for Santiago and you curse the Marines. You have that luxury. You have the luxury of not knowing what I know. That Santiago's death, while tragic, probably saved lives. And my existence, while grotesque and incomprehensible to you, saves lives. You don't want the truth because deep down in places you don't talk about at parties. You want me on the wall. You need me on that wall. We use words like honor, cold, loyalty. We use those wor- these words as the backbone of a life spent defending something. You use them as a punchline. I have neither the time nor the inclination to explain myself to a man who rises and sleeps under the blanket of the very freedom that I provide, and then questions the manner in which I provide it. I would rather you just said thank you and went on your way. Otherwise, I suggest you pick up a weapon and stand a post. Either way, I don't give a damn what you think you are entitled to.
1: (laughs) That great, uh, great speech at the end of A Few Good Men, written by Aaron Sorkin. And in some ways, he embodies both senses of this. He is so sure that he is a great man that he doesn't mind that somebody died on his watch, right? And he disparages somebody else. And so remember, if Screwtape is gonna take greatness and make a target out of it, and Mm -hmm. he's gonna take ordinariness and he's gonna make a target out of it, Right, and so he's always going to be trying to twist whatever is uh, is put in front of Jack Nicholson or anyone else, um, and uh, and and pervert it. Any
0: kind of human goodness he's going
1: to he's going to try to try to uh, disparage.
0: I found it interesting is the next section he talks about how so you have these democracy the democracy that they're creating. So let's call it the diabolical democracy. Just so mm-hmm. it doesn't get confusing, you have this diabolical sure. democracy that's creating weak individuals. Uh, and then he says, the democracies were surprised lately when they found that Russia had got ahead of them in science. What a delicious specimen of human blindness. i thought it was so interesting and such a true point. Like we even have this today where Mm -hmm. we're not promoting the right things in the United States. where We have so much benefit and so much incredible things that could continue propelling us forward. And you have other countries because we're kind of becoming lazy and complacent and championing bad behaviors and just patting everyone on the back and great inflation that these other schools and these other countries are passing us like we're one of the worst developed countries in the math and sciences. It's amazing, and so I was thinking to that when I read that
1: absolutely and it's it's typical screw tape you know he's going to make us proud of how how kindly we treat everybody. In the meantime, other, other nations are going to surpass us. And it's okay for other nations to surpass us as long as we take it in the attitude of the Lord. And one of the one of the things I think Screwtip wants to blind us to, especially with the idea of democracy, is that our primary citizenship is a citizenship in heaven. Mm. It's not a national, but a theological citizenship. And so... When I rise each day, I should think not only what should I do as an American, but all the more what should I do as a Christian, what should I do as a member of the of the heavenly country. How should I live like a Narnian? Even what Puddleglum said, um, and we'll be touching on Silver Chair pretty soon. What did Puddleglum say there in the underworld? I'm going to live like a Narnian even if Narnia doesn't exist. Hmm. And, of course, Narnia does exist. And so to acknowledge our primary citizenship as a member of the kingdom of God,
0: I think that's our great call today. Hmm. I love that. Hmm. And so what, what happens with all of this? Well, we're, we're now at the destruction of democracy from the mm-hmm. inside out. Mm-hmm. But that's not the end goal. The end goal, as we have alluded to and mentioned at various points in time, is the destruction of the individual. Mm. Mm -hmm. Here's what it says. The overthrow of free peoples and the multiplication of slave states are for us a means, but the real end is the destruction of individuals. For only individuals can be saved or damned, can become sons of the enemy or food for us. The ultimate value for us of any revolution, war or famine, lies in the individual anguish, treachery, Mm -hmm. hatred, rage, and despair, which it may produce. Mm -hmm. I'm as good as you is a useful means for destruction of democratic societies, but it is far, it is a far, it has a far deeper value as an end in itself, as a state of mind, which necessarily excluding humility, charity, contentment, and all the pleasures of gratitude or admiration turns a human being away from almost every road which might finally lead, might finally lead him to heaven. I mean, this is... This is where this was all pointing to. And if you guys remember, think back to mere Christianity. I quoted this at the end of my Edith Stein talk a couple years ago, where Lewis talks about at the end of that book, when we lose ourselves and give it to God is only when we really truly find ourselves. He gives back to us authentically who we were called to be. And so Mm -hmm. authenticity, individuality, you you brought up Andrew earlier uh, with St. Paul and we are members of this body, but we're all different. Like distinction differentness, individuality are all so important. Which actually thinking back to that, that pink song in the beginning, it says, raise us glass, our freaks. You know, a little bit interesting language, but the point is our individuality. We're raising our glass to our differentness. You know, that's a beautiful thing.
1: You know, this is one of the last things that Lewis wrote. And here he, we see him tying the themes as I've been beating the drums for for the last many years in my own work mm-hmm. and, and just by reading Lewis. Humility the opposite of the great sin. And I would, I would challenge us with a definition, humility is not to grovel. Humility is to think of myself in exactly the same way that God thinks about me. Mm-hmm. If I were to say I'm a great golfer, that would not be true. I don't golf unless there's a windmill involved, for goodness sakes. <laughs> if I were to say I'm great at math, that would not be true. If I were to say that I have some gifts in teaching, and in writing, and in speaking, well, these are gifts that God has given me, and to acknowledge them is to agree with God. To deny them would be to deny that God, for whatever crazy reason, has given each of us some of these gifts. Humility is not to be morose. It's to realize that I have gifts, I lack others, and this is by the design of God, and they give thanks to him. Charity you won't get me to shut up about charity. It means love. It means unconditional love, right? Screw tape always wants us to exclude humility and move towards pride, to exclude charity and move towards selfishness, to exclude contentment and move towards grasping and want and dissatisfaction and covetousness, and to move away from pleasure, right? Remember that at God's right hand are pleasures forevermore. And Screwtape earlier in the letter said you allowed him a real pleasure to read a book he liked and to spend time with people he enjoyed. Admiration, gratitude, to turn away from almost every road that might finally lead him to heaven. Ultimately, it's out of ourselves, like Lewis says of the Mere Christianity, out of ourselves into Christ we must go. And look for yourself, and you'll only find rage, ruin, and despair. But look for him, and you will find him. And with him, everything else thrown in. Preach it. Preach it. If the enemy is active, he wants us to not look for him, but to look for ourselves, and to find nothing instead of finding him, Jesus Christ, and with him, every other good thing and every other pleasure and every benefit of virtue and charity and contentment. In godliness with contentment is great gain, St. Paul says. And this is what Screwtape is trying to keep us away from. And I think that this is what Lewis labored so vigorously all of his life to to, to help us to see godliness with contentment offering us great gain.
0: Amen. Hallelujah. Praise be to God. It's Sunday. Can you tell? (laughs) Oh, Andrew is just dying to get in front and give homilies that just blow the church away, I could tell.
1: One more year of seminary and then then
0: somebody's going to be subject to me. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's turn our attention now to the toast. Andrew, there's a lot here, so I think we just read it all and we unpack it. And because it's I feel marvelous. It is. And I feel you have a better ability of reading and preaching, so I want you to do this.
1: Well, you honor me, and um, and and I won't <laughs> deny your request. Um, but it's again, and and I was so struck by this when he talks about the Pharisee. He talks about the extremes of both parties, political parties, whatever kind of parties. And it's one of the great tricks of Screw Tape. So, uh, so listen carefully. Fill your glasses. This is Screw Tape with his final toast. What is this? I see. What is this delicious bouquet I inhale? Can it be? Mr. Principal, I unsay all my hard words about the dinner. I see and smell that even under wartime conditions, the college cellar still has a few dozen sound old vintage vintage bottles of Pharisee. Well, 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 this is like old times. Hold it beneath your noses for a moment, gentle devils hold it up to the light. Look at those fiery streaks that writhe and tangle in its dark heart as if they were contending. And so they are. You know how this wine is blended? Different types of Pharisee have been harvested, trodden, and fermented together to produce its subtle flavor. Types that were most antagonistic to one another on earth Some were all rules and relics and rosaries. Others were all drab clothes and long faces and petty traditional abstinences from wine or cards or the theater. Lewis is talking here, by the way, listeners, about Catholics who are consumed with rituals and fundamentalists who are concerned consumed with rules, and he has combined them together to make a vintage wine of Pharisees. Phariseeism is a danger on both sides. Mm -hmm. Both had in in common their self-righteousness and an almost infinite distance between their actual outlook and anything the enemy really is or commands. The wickedness of other religions was the really live doctrine in the religion of each. Slander was its gospel and denigration its litany. How they hated each other up where the sun shone. How much more they hate each other now that they are forever conjoined but not reconciled. Their astonishment, their resentment at the combination, the festering of their eternally impenitent spite, Passing into our spiritual digestion, digestion will work like fire, dark fire. All said and done, my friends, it will be an ill day for us if what most humans mean by religion ever vanishes from the earth. It can still send us truly delicious sins. Nowhere do we tempt so successfully as at the very steps of the altar.
0: Hmm that's the lead up to the toast guys which is going to come in a second but that yes. self-righteousness sticks out mm-hmm. to me yes
1: and remember that the ultimate cry of the christian soul is not i but thou mm-hmm. or as the psalms say no nobis not to us o lord not to us but to thy name be glory mm-hmm. and so if we can say one thing about screw tape and i think if lewis could say one thing about screw tape The whole goal is to show us that what we should say is not me, Lord, you. Not my will, but thine be done. Not my selfishness, Lord, but in humility, love towards the others. And so he ends with the opposite of that in his toast. Your eminence, your disgraces, my thorns, shadies, and gentle devils. I give you the toast of... Principal Slubgob and the college. Cheers, cheers. (laughs) But we don't toast that. We toast to the love of God, to the humility of Christ, to the great lowering of Jesus to come and the incarnation and the cross and the resurrection in this Easter season, in this post-Pentecost season, in this season in which we remember that Christ humbled himself we too humble ourselves that we may be listed, lifted up and that grace may come to us. So our toast is to love and to grace and to Christ and that may at the end of this book, at the end of this this episode, at the end of this podcast and the at the end of our age, may he come again and save the world by his great love for us. Cheers. Cheers.